0: super talk mississippi media production find your new ride at Kia macomb's all new location at the corner of i-55 and highway 98 come find out why macomb loves Kia macomb at the corner of i-55 and highway 98 right on the corner right on the price What's up? Good morning. It feels like it has been forever since I've talked to you guys last. I mean, it really does. It feels like it has been weeks since I've last been on here with you. I also obviously couldn't do the Sunday show either. I was out of town this weekend, so I didn't do one of these at the end of last week. Didn't do a show yesterday. I'm just all over the place, and it is good to be back. I'm glad to see you, but it feels like I'm completely starting over again. Like, Got to build back up the audience and all that stuff for the morning live stream because I've been gone for so long. But here we are to Mike in the morning. I'm Michael Borkey. We're going to talk baseball today and then at the end Saints draft because I want to get to that. Um, didn't love the early part of the draft, but I think they recovered nicely to put together a pretty decent class. So there's a lot of Saints fans that hate it. I don't hate it so much. So we'll get to that later. But of course, starting. With talking baseball, real quick though, I want to remind you if you're watching on stream, this is uploaded in podcast for Mike in the morning, um in iTunes, my name will turn up results in Spotify. So check out the podcast. This does get uploaded every day. Leave a rating and a review, and also find me on YouTube at Michael Borky right there, and hit that subscribe button. And welcome back, JP says Borky. Welcome back and good morning. I just uh, I'll just hang on to this rain check from last Thursday. Yeah, man. I, I was planning on doing this and then life just happened. So um ha- had a lot of stuff going on. My brother-in-law got married this past weekend. So we had to bolt up to Memphis. Um, spent some time at Shelby Farms Park. That was where they got married. Really nice up there. Um, I enjoyed that. So I know a lot of you are from Memphis that listen to this. And that was a really cool spot that you guys have up there. So kudos to you for that. But. Uh, I did get to try, at least as best as I could, to keep up with all the baseball that was happening this weekend. And a couple of sweeps from Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Southern Miss did not sweep, but they took three of four, so it kind of feels like it. Um, But I want to show you guys something. I want to show you something because this now is very, very interesting. So let me share my screen here. Um, I did not – when I looked at these – I did not expect to see this. And for those of you listening on the podcast, this is the SEC standings as of today, as of this morning. In the East, Tennessee and Vanderbilt are tied at the top at fourteen and seven. Florida is third. They got a big series win over Vanderbilt this weekend at thirteen and eight. South Carolina now falls to eleven and ten. Georgia's fifth at ten and eleven. As is Kentucky and Missouri's very bad. They're five. And 16. In the SEC West, Texas AM and Auburn are tied for last at 5 and 16. LSU was 7 and 14. Alabama is fourth at 11 and 10. Ole Miss is third in the West at 13 and 8. And Mississippi State just one game better than Ole Miss right now at 14 and 7. And Arkansas just two games better, uh, holding the top spot at 15 and 6. So, um, Considering the feeling around both Ole Miss and Mississippi State, at least going into the weekend, Mississippi State was a solid national seed. Um, Ole Miss is on the outside looking in, at least according to D1. And Arkansas, it feels like they are separate from everybody else. To see that right now in your standings in the SEC is a bit surprising with three weeks to go. Any one of these three teams uh, in the top of the SEC West can win it with three weeks to play. And it shows you, and State got the sweep this weekend as well. I could have done the same thing last Monday. I just didn't realize it was this close. Um, This shows you the value, the great value in sweeping, which it's hard to do. Uh, Ole Miss's only series wins in the SEC are via sweep. But um, it's really hard to do, and the value in not getting swept. Because as we talked about here, Ole Miss lost four series in a row. They were in a free fall. They went from number one in the country to going into this past weekend outside of a host site. So they went from number one to not even in the top 16, at least according to D1, who I use for continuity and think they're the best at it. And yet after this weekend, they're only one game back of second and two games back of first. So that shows you the value, even in the four-week free fall that they had the absolute free fall from number one to outside of a host. They didn't get swept in any of those four weekends. And so Mississippi state right now is a solidified, at least at the moment, national seed sweeping Texas A&M doesn't really bump them up any, but it certainly won't drop them off because they swept a home SEC weekend. Texas A&M, just not a very good team at the moment, but Mississippi state's a national seed. Ole miss, probably worked their way back into the host, but there's only one game separating the two in the SEC. It's crazy. It's crazy, but it shows you just how important that Sunday game against LSU was for Ole Miss to come back from down 9-1 to one in winning that game and not getting swept by Arkansas or Mississippi State or Florida in those series losses. And now they have a realistic chance at winning the SEC West. It's crazy. Uh, it is uh, it's crazy how that's worked out. But uh, we'll look at both of these series, actually. Um, and I'll start with Ole Miss, because, like I said, Mississippi State going into the weekend, it wasn't a, a real high stakes thing. You know, just win a series against a team that you're better than. Um... <laughs> JP says Cross loves nothing more than diving in the SEC baseball weekend slate three times a week. You say it all the time, just get one, if anything, keep the brooms in the closet. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we do that with the weekend football schedule as well. Um, it happens. It happens. Sometimes uh, transitioning from one thing to the next uh, if, you know, if. If you lose track of like what's next on the schedule or anything, and, and although I spend all day working on notes, sometimes we just forget they exist, Um in fact, all the time we forget they exist. The transition uh, from one subject to the next, sometimes you kind of lose your train of thought or whatever. So that's like an easy thing to to not hesitate or fumble around or whatever. Uh, a lot of people will just reset, you know, give a phone line or whatever. But uh, yeah, that's that's all that is. Uh, if, that, if that annoys you, uh, just understand that that's coming from a place of um, like transitioning from one thing to the next and, and not knowing where to go. Um, mostly because apparently – The the notes I do are just not available, even though they're in the email box at about one thirty every day. (laughs) Anyway, I'm just kidding, but um, yeah, I mean that's what it is, JP. It's get one on the road, win two at home, and and steal a sleep uh, a sweep somewhere along the way. But um, that was or that is why Ole Miss now is in the position that they're in. Simply because they avoided sweeps and they've stolen a a few of them. Um, It's a big deal. So Mississippi State didn't really have a lot to gain this weekend. There was nothing really on the line. They were better than Texas A&M. And while they had a couple of close games in the series this weekend, um, they took care of business. They beat a team that they're better than. They stay a national seed. All good. There wasn't really a whole lot on the line because losing this series wouldn't have dropped them out of a host. It probably... May not have even dropped them out of a national seed. So wasn't a whole lot of stakes on the weekend for Mississippi State. So I'll start with Ole Miss because this was by far the single most important weekend of the year for that team. And in part because it was the next one, but they had to stop the free fall. They they had to stop the free fall. Four series losses in a row. I've talked about it on here a bunch. We talked about it on the radio a bunch. This was a team that was more talented than how they looked. They were playing sloppy baseball. They were losing games, not just because they were getting beat. They were losing games because they were beating themselves in some cases, like the LSU game, uh, on the first game in the LSU series. They boot the ball around in the first inning, and they give up a couple of runs, and that's how many they lose by. Uh, in the Florida series, they lost one game because of just bad center field play. Um so at times, they've shot themselves in the foot to lose these these series. I mean, they gave up 18 runs to Arkansas on Sunday to lose that rubber match. I mean, they are better, or you would think, you thought that they were better than they were showing, but they were free-falling and they had to stop it. And this weekend, a scrappy South Carolina team comes into town and they not only stop the bleeding, but they get a sweep to stop the bleeding. And now they're right back, or at least they should be right back on the correct side of hosting, and one game back of second place in the SEC West. Uh, So it was a really important weekend. Um, They needed it badly. They needed it badly, and they rose to the occasion. So that, that was a good, important series win and sweep for that team, in part because they were desperate and they needed it. They really needed it. And the emphatic nature of them doing it's really important. So now they've got three weeks left. They've got a winnable series with Texas A&M upcoming this weekend and then a huge matchup with Vanderbilt in two weeks. But um, this this past weekend, I don't expect them to sweep every series. I mean, of course. They, they shouldn't even win every series. It's the SEC West. But I um, this is how they should have played all along. This is how good the team is supposed to be. When they play mistake-free baseball, this is how good they can be, sweeping a top-10 RPI team. That's how good they can be. That's how good they should be. And it was good to see them actually play like that for the first time in over a month. And now they're back on the right side of hosting. Um, Derek Diamond being a viable bullpen arm is a big development for them for sure. Uh, They got a really nice outing on Sunday from Jack Doherty. Um, He probably should have finished the game. I mean, if you want to criticize the weekend, maybe taking him out uh, for Taylor Broadway's third appearance of the weekend, you know you can criticize that if you'd like, but Broadway didn't even throw 50 pitches on the weekend, so whatever. Um, so, not only did you win these games, but you showed that you have a couple of viable bullpen arms whose names are not Taylor Broadway. So that's a big development uh, for them. I, I will expand more on this series in particular on the uh, the Rebel Report podcast because uh, I. Do one of those as well uh, as assigned to me. Uh, so that will be done uh, after this. Uh, I will. I will do this. We'll do our little production call, um, and then I will record one of those as well. So a deeper dive into this series itself. There, but for the sake of time, this morning, going to move on to uh, Mississippi State and just kind of like I said, a ho hum weekend, and, and that's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. That that is not a bad thing. It's just. They did what they were supposed to do against a team that they are better than. We took care of business. Now, there's two ways you can look at close games, and they've really done it all season. I had kind of proposed the same question on the radio show after the Eastern Michigan series. Um, close wins are, is it a sign of a, a great thing about your team or is it a red flag for down the road? With your team, uh, it, I guess it depends on if you're an optimist or a pessimist, right? On one hand, I think Mississippi State wins close games and has all season, and they really have for the last few years, in part because of a mental makeup within that program. It's uh, there are people that say that clutch isn't real, and I don't know where that comes from or, or how you can say that, how you can be a sports fan and watch and consume it and not see that there are players, there are teams that perform better in tight situations than others. It's all analytics, people, but there are absolutely players that perform better in late game situations or close games or tight spots. There are players and teams and coaches that perform better in those moments. You can see it with your own eyes. Uh, on, on my basketball team, there's a player, and an all-star, not Zion. Um, and I don't want to slander the man because he's a great player, but a- at times does not perform well in the fourth quarter. His numbers go down, actually, shooting percentages and stuff like that in the fourth quarter pretty significantly. It's not on accident. He has yet to develop that clutch gene, and analytics people make fun of that. It's not real. Uh, you, there are guys that do better in those moments than others. Mississippi State's close losses, to me anyway, and I guess I'm kind of an optimist, show you that that team still has that mental makeup that the program has had for years, that they know how, like JP just said, they know how to win. They know how to win. And like I said, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, those guys, everybody that wears a Mississippi State uniform right now, If they have a strike left, they think they're winning the game. It's not that they think they have a chance to win the game. It's uh, we are winning this game. If there's a strike left, that's what they do. They think they're winning the game. They have that mentality. And so, I I mean, I guess there's a a negative side that you can look at it if you're a Mississippi State fan, uh, where, you know, close games against Texas A&M, well, when it comes postseason time, you're going to see better. And if you're having to scrap and claw to beat Texas A&M and Eastern Michigan and teams like that, how are you going to get out of a regional? That would be a very pessimistic uh, viewpoint. I look at it as mentality. It's something about that team and that program that if they have strikes left, it doesn't matter. If they're down a handful of runs on a Friday night in the SEC, it doesn't matter. We've got strikes left, right? Well, we're going to win. And they showed it on Friday. And they pitched it like that on Saturday. And then they kind of blew out game three. But, I mean, that, that's Mississippi State baseball. That's what they are. That's what they have been. Mississippi State was down 7-3 to three in the bottom of the seventh on Friday night and won the game. And you don't even, like, it, it doesn't surprise you. It's just like, oh, okay. Seriously. I was at a rehearsal dinner. And when we got back to the hotel from the rehearsal dinner, I wasn't surprised. Like, I had been trying to keep up with the scores as much as I could. But, I mean, it was, it was a family wedding, so I really could not, you know, be locked into my phone as much. But I saw them down seven to three, and my head was like, yeah, well, that's tough. I mean, they got to get two because Texas A&M is not very good. And then when I checked the score later, I was like, oh, well, yeah, that's, that's what they do. It's just what they do, and um, they did it again. Although a and is not a great team, they did it again. One thing I wonder about, and, and you saw him twice against Ole Miss, but Landon Sims, I, I wonder if they maybe consider trying to wait to get to him at least in the, the first games of these series and not have three inning outings for him because they kind of burned him on the weekend. I'm sure he could have gone again, and maybe that there's a chance that Chris Lemonis is just being extra conservative because he's got other bullpen arms that are viable, and they don't need to go to Landon Sims all the time. I mean, that's kind of been Ole Miss's problem, is up until this weekend, you thought that they really only had one quality bullpen arm. Now, this weekend showed you that they've got a couple, um, or at least you think so, uh, with Doherty and Derek Diamond. But Mississippi State's got a handful of them that you can trust, so maybe it's that. But I would like to see, as we approach the postseason, maybe having a one-inning close or a two-inning close, giving you a chance to come back to them later in the weekend. They've only done it once this season. And although you trust your bullpen and you've got a good one, if I were Chris Lemonis, I would rather have Sims in those spots than anybody else on my team. So maybe that's something to watch for is like in a regional, for example, you've got to want to have Sims pitch twice. And again, maybe it's just a being conservative thing, making sure that you can extend him this postseason, hoping he gets there healthy. Um, Maybe that's all it is. But if, if that's, if this is the strategy, I would consider mixing that up a little bit, but we'll see. He could just be conservative with him, which I understand. So Another, uh, another sweep, another weekend series win for Mississippi State. Just a ho-hum thing. Uh, they're probably going to still be a national seed. I, I'd be shocked if they weren't. So they took care of business, did what they had to do, and they're moving forward. What's interesting now is the regional sites have been decided. They'll announce it next week, but if Kendall Rogers' reporting was correct, they have now picked the regional sites, 16 plus four. And so initially, we thought it was just going to be 16. And basically, if you were a host, it's all good. Um, it's a little bit different. They've added four extras that will get eliminated at the end. So although I do think Ole Miss, for example, is now on the right side of, of hosting, um, they still can not host over the next few weeks. Um, that's possible. And Mississippi State's obviously solid. I mean, I I don't care what happens the the rest of the season. They will be hosting a regional in Starkville, I believe. We'll see if the NCAA gets kind of funky. I know Fairfield finally lost this weekend, so maybe that helps some. Um, If they use RPI the way they have last year, you might get some silliness. Uh, I saw Charlotte lost, so that's probably out now. Uh, JP says... Eagles, talking about Southern Miss, were shut out in game one only to come back and outscore Rice 30-3 to over the next three games. Yeah, they were dominant. Um, Climbed three spots in the poll. Conference USA turning out to be a good baseball conference this spring. It always is. It's the most underappreciated baseball conference in the country. It it really is. Most underappreciated baseball conference in the country. Um, It's just a shame that Well, now that Charlotte lost, too, they may not get a host at all. Um, And I don't know what the NCAA is going to do. See, like Southern Miss, they should be at least in consideration. And because of the early decision, it may screw things up. But also because you know how the NCAA operates. They only award 16 host sites. So they're really giving three to the state of Mississippi. I I hate that that's even a factor. It should be merit and merit only and not any other factor, but I, I I believe that that would be taken into account from them for sure. So hell of a weekend, though. I mean, worst case scenario, Scott Berry's team is going to be a two seed that you you just you don't want to see, and they will likely end up in Oxford or Starkville, and Ole Miss nor Mississippi State want to see that. You would much rather get like Duke or somebody to be your two instead of Southern Miss especially with the way they pitch it. So, um, again, there will be more old Miss talk on the um... – Yeah, Zach, that's a good question. Zach says, is it even worth asking why they would stop at 4-Extra and not just let every school that applied prepare in addition to the 4-Extra? It's a great question. I, I said when they made this, uh, this decision, you guys may remember I, I did an episode of this talking about that, and, and why don't they just – have, like you said, every team that applied, you send them your, your protocols and say, be prepared if we select you to follow these guidelines. What What's so hard about that? Why did they have to narrow it? Uh-oh. Why did they have to narrow it down to 20? Why not 40? Why not 60? I don't know. I, I mean, if it's all about getting them prepared for COVID protocols, don't you just have to let them know what they are and then tell them to be prepared to follow them. It's, it's not, it's complete nonsense. The picking the host sites before the season's over does not make any sense at all. They could have gotten around this if they wanted to, but the NCAA handling anything is a clown show, but especially college baseball, it's, it's just a clown show. All of it's a clown show. The 11.7 scholarship thing I mean, the way they handled the women's NCAA tournament, the way they handled the TV deal, everything the NCAA touches turns to crap. And here we are yet again with an unnecessary situation where today, if you weren't in the top 20 hosting teams, sorry, you can't. Sorry. No matter what you do for the rest of the season, you could sweep the next three weeks and win your conference championship, and guess what? You're not hosting. It's ridiculous. It just... Determining merit-based host sites without finishing the season doesn't make any sense at all. But it's the NCAA. All right. And then I wanted to, to get this out there. Saints draft didn't get to react to their first-round pick. Um, wasn't in love with it. Uh, it was just kind of one of those things where you you shrug your shoulders like, I mean, eh, they, they needed – I think they more so needed a corner or a linebacker, especially in that spot with a few good ones available. I know they tried to trade up, and there was a couple of guys they were targeting with the trade up, couldn't execute that. Maybe other teams were asking for too much or just couldn't find the right spot to trade up and ended up picking at 28. And I don't know. I I just – apparently Peyton Turner is a plug-and-play guy. Like, he's more – NFL-ready than Marcus Davenport, who they, at this point, feels like they kind of wasted a draft pick to get. Um, Although they did pick up his option. It's just he he was not worth giving up a first-round pick to receive, obviously. Um, But, I mean, people like Turner. Uh, They think he's got good upside. They probably could have gotten him in the second round. Felt like a bit of a stretch, especially when you had other positions of more desperate need. But they did address those later on. Uh, they got Pete Warner from Ohio State in the second round. He tested really well. Um he tested really well, but doesn't play like he tested, if that makes sense. He looks a step slow or looked a step slow at Ohio State. Um that did not strike I was surprised by that pick because that just didn't strike me as a guy that was ready to play right away in the NFL because the Saints need a linebacker to play right away. Um, Last year's pick didn't work out, or at least not immediately. So they need somebody to come in and play. And while he tested well, it just doesn't strike me as a guy that plays like the way he tested. Um, But anyway, uh, so it's fine. They needed a linebacker. They got a linebacker. Team apparently loves him. Tested well. Measured well. We'll see if he can play uh, as well as he tested. I love their third-round pick. I thought this was great value. Their next two picks, so their third, fourth, and sixth-round pick, because they didn't have a fifth, they traded that to move up, uh, great value in those four picks. That's what I'm most excited about. I'm not thrilled with the top of this class, but the middle of this class, um, I'm thrilled with. I-, I thought it was great. So getting the uh, the corner from Stanford, who uh, opted out this past season, Um had 34 pass, passes defended in 22 games. Um, was a all Pac-12 player in 18 and 19. Just didn't play last year. Um, some people think he'll step in a little bit raw. Like he, he's not exactly like immediate playing time ready. Um, sorry, this has happened so many times. Um, they, they try to do our call while I'm still doing this, when they know I do this, um, love it, but they think he might be a little bit raw, so maybe not immediately like an instant impact guy, uh, like right away, but grades really, really high, great value in the third round, uh, to get a a Debo. I think I'm saying his name correctly from, uh, from Stanford, but, uh, people rave about his ability and he, he kind of disappeared because, one, he's in Pac-12 and nobody nationally pays attention to Pac-12 football, but also he didn't play this past season. Uh, But to get a guy, an all-conference guy with his ability, um, that was a nice, solid pick for sure. Um, I'm looking at USA Today, for example. They gave the Saints an A grade for that pick, and and I agree with that completely. It's great value uh, in that spot in a position of need. Um, I don't hate the Ian Book pick in the fourth round like some other people do. Um, especially the Mississippi State fan, Saints fan, um, bashing that pick. It's like, hey, don't you guys know that, that, that Dak Prescott was a, a mid-round guy as well? I mean, you can find quarterbacks. Um, and <laughs> you can find quarterbacks in that slot and they end up being successful. I think this was a, a, an also a really high-value pick. Ian Book can play, uh, especially if you go back and watch uh, his game against Clemson the first time around. His offensive line got smoked the second time they played. He, he didn't have much room to operate, but he's a good athlete, sneaky, pretty good runner, um, makes all the throws, all that stuff, uh, multi-year starter at the highest level of college football, um, and they need a backup because once they figure the Jameis – and Taysom thing out, and by that I mean once they determine that Jameis is the starter, Taysom Hill's not going to be the backup quarterback. He's not. He's going to go back to the flex. He's going to play tight end. He's going to block kicks. He's going to be on the kickoff team. He's going to do all that stuff. He's going to be the gadget player once he loses that job to Jameis. He's too valuable to have as your backup quarterback, and so the Saints see a guy available – like Ian Book, who's been a multi-year starter in college, performed really well in college, can be a starter in the NFL. But if not, you have a, excuse me, uh, if not, you have a quality backup um, that can learn in your system and grow. And if Jameis gets hurt or he doesn't work out, you have somebody there that you're growing and developing that can be an NFL quarterback. I like the Ian Book pick there. It's not like you had to move a lot of pieces around. You didn't stretch to get him in the second or third. You're not getting great like instant impact guys in the fourth round anyway. So why not go quarterback there with a guy that you think can project at your level? Um I uh yeah JP you're right. I forgot about that when uh Sean Payton was on um with uh with Dan Patrick uh, he said that Ian book reminded him of himself. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you look up in a few years from now and Ian books a starting quarterback in new Orleans. I, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I, I think it was a very good value pick. It, it was fine to, um, <laughs> these guys, uh, un- unbelievable, um, I like to pick. I think it's good value. Getting a, a it worst a quality backup in the fourth round, that's fine. Um, I don't hate it like some other people do, and I think eventually he could be a starter. He's got that kind of ability and upside. Uh, and USA Today gave that pick a C. I just I don't agree with that at all. Uh, I very much disagree with that. And and see, I love this, and this is the kind of stuff that cracks me up. It says. Book does check many of the boxes Sean Payton looks for in a quarterback while passing all the benchmarks his mentor Bill Parcells believed in. Book should compete with Trevor Simeon for the third spot in the depth chart behind Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Like, I understand that Jameis hasn't been named the starter yet. I know that. But it won't be a battle between Ian Book and Trevor Simeon for the third spot. Nope. It will be a battle between Ian Book and Trevor Simeon for the second spot. Anyway. Anyway. I uh, love the Landon Young pick in the sixth round as well. Talk about value. Like I said, the the three, four, and six round picks, they didn't have a five, I love. Um, I don't think anybody expects Landon Young to step in and be a starter uh, or maybe even start ever, but As you guys know, on the offensive line, you need quality depth. And it's a a guy that was a multi-year starter in the SEC, played left tackle against the best defensive lines in college football, did well, measured well, apparently got his head really on straight and can be a good quality depth backup guy. Started 30 games at left tackle in the SEC, and you get him in the sixth round. And, um, I mean, he's got high athleticism and apparently a high IQ. And to get a guy like that in the sixth round value, he's not going to start. You don't need him to start. But adding depth on the offensive line, and as as we've learned over the last few years, the Saints have had injuries on the offensive line. Having a guy like that backing up your offensive lineman who started games in the SEC can be versatile. He's a smart guy, athletic enough to do it in the sixth round. Love it. Absolutely love it. So, And then the seventh-round pick, I don't know much about uh, Kawan Baker from South Alabama. Uh, apparently, he's a guy that can and probably should make the roster even. I know wide receiver is an issue right now for them, but I'm not as obsessed with the need at wide receiver as some other people are uh, because you have, obviously, Michael Thomas, who hopefully will be healthy this year. I like Traquan Smith. I think he's he's valuable. He's good enough. Uh, I loved what I saw from Marquez Callaway. I think they've got got a wide receiver one and a couple of threes right now. But when you factor in Kamara, he's basically a wide receiver the way they use him. He's that kind of a weapon. Who knows how they're going to use Taysom Hill because it seems like it changes from week to week. But he's still an offensive weapon. And then you trade it up to draft a tight end last year. You've got weapons on offense. Just because they don't have WR next to their name doesn't mean they're not threats in the passing game. Alvin Kamara is a passing threat just because he's not a wide receiver. I mean, there were times last year they just lined him up in the slot because why not? He can get open and he can catch the football, so who cares? It doesn't matter if he's a running back. He, he can do it. So I'm not as obsessed with the wide receiver, uh, lack of wide receivers as some other people are, and I think this is fine. And I agree, JP. I think Marquez Callaway can become – the second wide receiver he showed so much last year in limited action. I think that just dismissing him as, ah, well, they don't have any wide receivers after Thomas. It's not, it's not what I saw uh, at all. So, um, didn't love the beginning of the draft, but the middle I think makes up for it. It could be one of those years where you look up and you see quality defensive back, quality offensive lineman, and a quarterback that is helping you in some way, uh, over the next few years. I think that the middle of this draft is going to be looked at favorably uh, when it's all said and done. I have really gone over my time this, this morning, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and hang it up. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, especially you, JP, and, uh, and Zach, for getting in the comments. I appreciate you guys uh, a lot for uh, for doing that. makes this a lot more fun. So thank you guys for tuning in. Enjoy your week. I'll be back tomorrow morning. And then I'm not going out of town for like seven weeks. So you guys are stuck with me every day for the next few weeks. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll uh, talk to you guys again soon.